you're listening to the Sojourn Montrose Sermon Podcast. To get connected at Sojourn Montrose, visit our website, sojournmontrose.org. All right, uh, Exodus 32. Um, we've jumped quite, quite a bit ahead in time. Um, so this is the, sort of the second time that Moses has gone up the mountain. He, he first comes down, he relays to the people, hey, this is the, these are the Ten Commandments verbally that, that, that God has given to me for us. And then he goes back up to the mountain and the Lord says a whole bunch of other things and then he intends to send him back down to the people. And this is, this is that account of his, of his second coming back down the mountain. And this is what happens. Verse 1, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Now there's a lot, there's a lot happening in just that single verse, but, but here's what I want us to know first, just right off the bat. There's a lot of times in Scripture when we're reading the Bible and from verse to verse, there could be any amount of time that's taken place, right? Like you, so if you close the book in Malachi on the Old Testament and you start off in Matthew, that's not the next day. That's 400 years later, right? And when we read this verse and we, we hear the Israelites speak the way they do about Moses, it's almost as if they're trying to recall his name, right? This, this man that led us out of Egypt, what was his name again? Moses. Yeah, we don't know when he's coming back. So, And so let me just let you know from, from the get-go, it's been 40 days. It's been 40 days and 40 nights that Moses has been on the mountain in the presence of God. And in the short Span of 40 days. 40 days from this wondrous moment where, again, the Lord in His glory appears and thunder and lightning. They're so in awe of His glory that they say, Moses, don't let Him speak to us. You speak to us on His behalf because we're just, it's too awe-inspiring. It's too awesome. 40 days from that, from that moment, here we find the people of Israel coming to Aaron, who's, who's been left in charge, and saying, make for us gods that we might worship them. Now, here's the thing. For some of us, that, that number, 40, 40 days, 40 nights, is maybe a, an innocuous number, right? We think of that, we're like, okay, 40 days, 40 nights. What does that have to do really with anything? Well, when we look throughout the Bible, um, that number 40 is very significant, and almost always it represents this. It represents a time or a season of testing, that, that God is testing something or someone, right? Whether it's Noah in the ark, 40 days, 40 nights, whether it's Jesus in the desert being tempted by Satan, 40 days, 40 nights, right? It's a season of testing. And so this time that Moses spends on the mountain with God, receiving the law, receiving the commandments, is not like a uh, just like the amount of time that God needed, right? Like he, like he could have done the whole matrix thing and just plug it into the back of the brain. It's there. Go back down and tell him, right? God doesn't need 40 days, 40 nights. He's, he's, in, he's intending to do something. He's intending to test the people of Israel. 
And of course, as we see, even just from verse 1, the Israelites fail that test, right? They come to Aaron, they come to their priest, they come to this person who's, who's their leader in the meantime, who is to mediate their relationship with God as their priest, and they, in that moment, choose to abandon Yahweh. They choose to abandon this God who's led them out of Egypt, who's seen them safely through the Red Sea to the other side, who's provided bread from heaven, quail, meat to eat, water from the rock, right? They choose to abandon this God. Now, but so here's the thing, though. In, in the absence of a God, there is a, a nature that we have that must be filled, which is that we were created for worship. And so it's not, it's not simply that we could say, oh, okay, God, we're done with that. We, don't, we have no need to worship. Rather, it's, I'm done with that, God. I'm going to pick up another one. So make for us one, Aaron. Make for us a God. And so the Israel, Israelites fall prey to a literal, physical idol. They melt down gold earrings and jewelry and all these things, and out sort of pops this calf. Now, there's a, a couple of details I want us to just be aware of before we, before we keep working through um, our text for the morning. Notice that this happens in the absence of Moses. That'll be important for us um, as we continue. But let's keep reading verse 2. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters. Bring them to me. All the people took off their rings that were in their ears, brought them to Aaron. Received the gold from their hand, fashioned it with a graving tool, and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel. Who brought you up out of the land of Egypt? When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. So here's the thing, God intended in this 40 days, yes, absolutely to test the people of Israel, but it's not only a test for the people of Israel, it's also a test for Israel's leaders. And much like Israel in this instance, Aaron fails his test. This is the first time that Aaron has been left in charge of the congregation, right? This is the, this is the first time that the teenage kid gets to gets to babysit, right, the preteen in the household, right? This is, this is that moment. This is, everything's been working up to this. Aaron, you're ready. You've been prepared. Moses, I'm going to take a break, right? And Aaron fails the test. He makes this God. He, he hears what the people say, and he appeases them. Instead of putting his trust in Yahweh, the fear of man takes over for Aaron. 
He's more afraid of what the people will do to him. He's more afraid of what the people will think about him than he is afraid of Yahweh, of this God, this God who is, this God who is with them, this God who has given him his title and role as priest. And so Aaron falls prey to an invisible idol. He's not necessarily worshiping a golden calf, but he is worshiping another God. And that God is the people that are in front of him. And so here's what's what's wild in all of this. Make no mistake. That this season of testing for the people of Israel where they fall to both visible, tangible, outward idols and to inner, inward, (laughs) emotional, mental idols is entirely similar to what we experience now. You see, we've talked regularly about how much this situation is analogous to ours, that what the, what the people of Israel go through is so very similar to what we go through. And so here's what, here's what we believe about, about Jesus, right? We believe that Jesus came down, and we believe that he gave us a new law, a new commandment, right? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself, Right? And then, of course, we come to find out that Jesus, after all of his teaching, after living this perfect life, gets accused as a criminal, as a sinner, as an idolater, he, a blasphemer, and he goes to the cross and he dies. He dies a sinner's death, and of course, then he's buried, lies in the grave for three days, resurrects three days later, and then ascends into the heavens. He goes up the proverbial mountain. And the disciples are like, what What are we supposed to do? Where did Jesus go? Where is this man who led us out of Egypt? And so the season of testing that the Israelites go through in Exodus 32 are really several of the preceding chapters as well, really 24 all the way through 32. That season of testing is is the season of testing that you and I find ourselves in as the church, that Jesus is ascended to the mountain. He's up there. He's with God. He's communing with the Father. That's where He resides currently. In His absence, we've been given commands to follow. We've been given something to uphold, namely this commandment to love Him. And to love our neighbor. And so the question is, will we be found faithful? And there's a couple of things that can get in the way of that, right? And it's no mystery. It's, not, it's nothing 
it's nothing covered or veiled in this text. There are things outside of us and or inside of us that can and will and do often have the power to distract us from the God who has delivered us. It's no mystery, is it? Maybe I'm the only one. But whether it's, listen, I know none of you guys have like a gold-plated $50 bill in your room that you bow down to, okay? I, well, maybe you do, uh, which is weird, but um, that's aside. Um, but, but let's be honest. Let's be honest that it is very easy and all too common to bow down before something like money, to, to put ourselves in a position of worship toward that thing. Or maybe it's a certain relationship that you're trying to maintain and want to hold and want to, because you think somehow it's going to complete you. Or maybe it's a, you know, we could go on and on, right? Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's a, a, a certain possession, right? I, I don't know. I don't know what it is specifically for you. Right There are those things outside of us that it's just so easy to take our eyes off the mountain covered in the glory of God to instead behold this trinkety thing that we tried to fashion out of the remnants of, of sort of old jewelry. Well, that's not the only thing, right? It could also just be something, it, it could be a perception of us. It could be being so committed to our relationship. It could be being so committed to being well-liked or being well-regarded that we're willing to sort of just coast, just go with the flow, right? Aaron's not the one out here that's like, hey guys, I had a great idea, let's do this. But Aaron is the guy that someone came to and said, hey, I had a great idea, let's do this. And he's like, Okay. Sounds good. I don't want to create an uncomfortable situation. I don't want anybody to feel unloved. I don't want anybody to feel judged, you know? So let's just, we'll just, we'll go with it. And so, so here's, here's the reality of like, this situation for us, right? We, we are Israel in the sense that um, their failure here is our failure now. And we've said that, I think, throughout, throughout this reading of Exodus. It's, been, it's just been made quite clear that the Israelites, who, who we often sort of want to be like, are you serious did this just happen? Did you just behold the glory of God? Did you just see Him? Did you just hear from Him through Moses because you literally couldn't stand to hear from Him because He's so awesome and so glorious and now we're, now we're here? Are you serious? And so often that are you serious is like what, what we should be saying to ourselves. We've all bowed to idols either literal, physical, tangible, 
ones that are in front of us or those internal ones that are, that are just maybe a little bit more insidious because they're so deep-rooted. We've all broken God's very first commandment, right? You shall have no other gods before me. It's like the first thing that he says. Like of all the ones that, that are there, you would think that would be the one that they could remember. And so what, what hope is there for us? Right, the New Testament, like life in Jesus is supposed to be different, right? We're not like those Israelites. We're, we got the new covenant, we got Jesus. Well, why does all this look so familiar? Why does history continue to repeat itself? Why does the human heart continue to be this factory of idolatry that just churns out God after God after God after God after God? There's a really interesting turn uh, in this story. You see, this is, this is what happens. Moses is on the mountain. He's in the middle of God's glory, I'm sure, just kind of mind-blown, you know, consistently. And, and God interrupts that. It's God, God's the one that interrupts that. And He says this to Moses. He says, go down for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt. They've corrupted themselves, turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf, worshipped it, sacrificed to it, and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, in order that I may make a great nation of you, Moses. And this is the crazy, like, turn. Right? This is sovereign, all-powerful God. This is, this is sea-parting God. This is, this is bread from the heavens God. This is water from the rock God. This is ten plagues God. This is death of the firstborn God. This God, this God, okay, who says, listen, I, like, I'm done. We'll, we'll start over with you, Moses. And what happens? Verse 11, But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you've brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self, and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heavens, and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. Bold, right? Bold <laughs> prayer. To stand before that God that your people can't, like, can't even stand to hear. And that just took out like the world's superpower of the time in Egypt. To stand before Him and, and say, 
relent. Remember your covenant. Remember your promise, God. What happens in verse 14? And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. What? That is wild. Like, what just happened? This ungrateful people, this, as God calls them, this stiff-necked people that, that refuses to sort of take their minds off, take their eyes off the idols that they've created, these, these comforts and these things that they want and that they desire, and, and place their eyes upon the Lord God. This stiff-necked people who deserve no grace, who de- who've been given utterly above and beyond the measure of grace that anyone should ever receive, ever in their release from bondage, in their safe passage through the Red Sea, in their sustained provision in the desert, in the presence of God visibly manifest to them. And and one guy, (laughs) Moses, prays, listen, this isn't a long prayer. It's not even, like, there's no magic in it, no magic words, if you will. He didn't say, Father God, 40 times, you know. (laughs) Sorry. What did he say? He said, remember your covenant. Remember your promises to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac. Remember what you promised to them. Remember what you promised to do. And God relents. Moses intercedes for his people, which that's a whole other thing, right? Like he's got to be up there just going like, are you serious? Like if I were, uh, just saying, I'm self-righteous enough to know that if I were Moses in that moment, I'd be like, kill him. (laughs) Kill them all, man. Yeah, we'll start over. And that in that moment would have, earned the same for me, I'm sure. So, But anyway, that's why I'm not there. Moses intercedes for his people in that moment. He is quick to plead with the Lord on their behalf, quick to, to, to beg of him to have mercy, to remember his covenant, to remember his promises, to be kind to his people, to be gracious, even though Moses is well aware that God has been nothing but kind and gracious and kind and gracious and kind and gracious. And God does it. He does it. He relents. He's faithful. He's faithful to his promises. Even in the presence of this persistent like willing faithlessness. That's wild, man. It's wild. But so here's here's what's cool. Some of us are like, okay, well, like, well, where's our Moses? Like, who's the who's the guy in God's ear? Well, you know what the Bible tells us now, right? You know who's in God's ear? Right now, when, when, when we fail, when we 
are walking in idolatry, when we're worshiping the things of this world, when we're worshiping our idols of comfort or power or approval, any of those things, you know who's in God's ear going, remember your covenant, remember your promises. You've promised to be good to them. They're mine. Relent. They're mine. Relent. He's mine. Relent. She's mine. It's Jesus. Jesus, God, God's word tells us that our high priest is Jesus and that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father this very moment, right now, in the middle of whatever sinfulness you dragged in here this morning with you, me too, that in the middle of that, Jesus right now is going, relent, relent, relent. Remember your promises. Remember that you've, you've, you've promised to be faithful to this people because they're your people. And so where's our, where's our hope? Our, our, our hope is in this wonderful reality that in the same way that Moses' intercession was effective for the people of Israel, God relented from his disaster. God relented from his punishment. Well, in the same and even the more glorious and, and even more glorious way, Jesus, right now, his prayers are effective on our behalf. His intercession is effective for us. I don't know if we fully grasp that or not, if I just need to say it like a hundred more times. Jesus, right now, is pleading with his Father on your behalf. And make no mistake, if Moses' prayer worked, Jesus' prayer is, is going to work. Jesus' prayer is going to be effective on your behalf. Like, listen, if it, was, if it was Moses up there praying for me, I'd be like, okay, fingers crossed. It worked once, maybe it'll work again, right? But like, Jesus is the Son of God from eternity past. Right? He was there in the beginning with God. It's that Jesus that's right now making this same prayer, making this same intercession on our behalf. Man, what kind of confidence could, or better yet, should we have if we're Christians in this room this morning? I mean, I can't think of, I can't think of anything better. And so, so here's, here's what that means, just on a, on a very practical level. There's, there's hundreds of verses in the New Testament that talk about why we, can, why we have this assurance, why we can be confident. And let's make no mistake, our grounds for confidence is, is not because, hey, well, guess what? I didn't fashion an idol today. See how tomorrow goes. It's not. Our confidence is purely in the fact that we know that Jesus right now is making intercession for his people before the throne of God. And you know what? God hears Jesus' prayers because Jesus lived the perfect life we couldn't live. Died the death we should have died. Rose in victory over Satan, sin, and death. Delivered us from our bondage to slavery and to sin and is now sustaining us in the wilderness of life in a broken world. 
And so listen, I, I, don't, I don't know about you, but for me, like when I find myself in this situation, when, I, when, I, when I've clearly fashioned an idol, when that becomes readily apparent to me, um, and, and, and it's just like, ser- seriously, <laughs> again? Right, the temptation, the temptation is to take a step back. Like, let me, let me just... We just get a little bit further away from you, God. This is like, I want to get to a comfortable distance where like, you know, I, I'm, I'm like, I'm standing far enough away from y'all right now that I look all right, you know, but, but like if you got up close, you know, you'd see that maybe I need a mask or something. And so that's what I want to do with God, right? I want to be like, okay, let me, let me step back a little bit. Like, look, everything's cool here, man. It's fine. That's because I'm insecure in that moment, right? I've been, like I'm under the microscope, if you will. And yet the, the confidence that we have in knowing that we have this intercessor Christ who at all times is seated next to the Father going, remember, remember your covenant. Remember he's mine. Remember he's your people. Remember what you've promised to do. Remember the good work that you began. You promised to finish it. Man, you know what? That should make me run. Run towards him. Knowing that that idol, while it might have had a moment, will absolutely have no claim upon my future. None. That's why I love like the, the end of Jude, right? Now to him who is able to present you to whom? Himself. What? Blameless. Like, it's just over and over and over in God's word. that he will be faithful to his promises. And so I'll just say I'll just say two things. Know this, you're in a season of testing. Period. Life will be hard. Life will put opportunities to fail before you. That's just the nature of it. We have an enemy we don't talk about him a lot because we think it's funny or weird or like we're not really comfortable with the whole spiritual thing and the idea of like demons and all that stuff, right? Well, that, that's, we're in this spiritual climate. That's what's happening. We're in a spiritual battle. There's going to be these moments, these opportunities. It's going to happen. Don't be surprised, right? Don't be surprised when the fiery trial comes upon you over and over again, the Bible. We are in a season of testing. We've been given a command to follow. And so let's, let's be found faithful. Let's, let's pursue that. Let's pursue loving God. Let's pursue loving others. And at the same time, when we fail, let's be reminded that we have this wonderful intercessor who is in that self-same moment with no delay reminding God that He's promised you grace. And then two, I think, 
and again, maybe this is just me. I, so I've prayed a lot of prayers over the last couple of years. There's nothing like a season of testing to, to, to bolster your prayer life. And, and, and I've, I've prayed a lot of them that, um, depending on the day, were confident and like, yeah. And then some that were just like, dude, I don't even know why like, I do this anymore. Dad just kept getting skinnier and skinnier and skinnier. You know, until literally the life just left him. I've seen my wife walk through health trouble after health trouble after health trouble. When, 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 Lord, when will we be done with this? Seen friends and family suffer, and I mean not just like you know. I couldn't find a parking spot close enough to the River Oaks Theater this morning, but like real real stuff, you know, broken family situations that like are, there's, there's no repair for. Discouraging, man. But here's the thing. Moses, like in this moment, I, again, I don't know everything that's going on through his head. I can only suppose. But there's one thing he's not lacking. That's boldness. But where does his boldness come from? It's not from like, hey, I, listen, look at all these things I've done for you. Would you please just like chill for a minute? You're saying, God, look, you promised this, okay? I, I you promised. And so listen, I don't know what's going on in your collective lives. I know there's a lot. I'm sure there's a lot, right? But I would hope that our prayers in light of this passage, in light of who Jesus is for us, would, would begin to shift just a little bit, not because, not because of who we are or anything like that, but just because of His promises. Look, God, you've promised to do good to me. I don't know how that shakes out with everything that's happened in the last couple of years, but that's what you've promised. So be faithful to that. Do that. That's a prayer that you can pray any day of the week and not feel ashamed of, ever. If you can muster no other thing before the Lord God in your moment of sin, you can come before Him and you can say, you know what? Be faithful to your promise. Be good to me because you've promised you'll be good to me. And I'll be faithful insofar as I'm able. Remember that Jesus is praying for you and remember that you can pray with boldness because that's what Jesus is doing for you right now. And so really you're just repeating the same things that he's saying to the Lord God before you. Be faithful, relent, be faithful. Remember your promises, complete your good work, do those good things. It's going to happen. And so it doesn't matter if you can't tell up from down right now, just know. Jesus right now and you with him be faithful. Be faithful to your promises. Remember your covenant. Do your good work. I trust you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Again, God, we're um, grateful to be gathered together in your presence. Grateful for the testimony of your word, Lord, that tells us that, um, 
that in Jesus we have someone who is interceding for us right now, who is, who is reminding you of your promises to us. And so, Lord, even when we feel like we can't see, even when we're disoriented, even when we feel like life is just upside down, Father, that is what Jesus is doing on our behalf. And so, Lord, may we find some balance in that reality. May we find some comfort, some stasis in that reality, Lord. Now, would you make us a people, Lord, who are quick to run to you rather than to idols that promise comfort around us? Um, Lord, I pray that we would be a people who are found faithful. I pray, Lord, that we would enter into this season of testing with clear eyes and yet great hope, great hope in the knowledge that Jesus is not like Moses, someone who might be able to make atonement, but that Jesus is the one who made atonement. And so we worship and we rejoice and we celebrate in light of that reality, no matter the circumstances around us. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.